When Umberto Rocha was six years old, he got a Christmas gift every kid in the 90s wanted, a Nintendo 64. He'd spend entire weekends playing in his room and eventually collected all the classics, Donkey Kong, Super Mario Kart, Super Mario Golf, Super Mario Party, and obviously Super Mario uh, Smash. He also played a lot of Scooby-Doo, even though it scared him. There was this level with like some witch doctor at a museum Hmm. and... uh, You know, even as a kid, I would always have nightmares of the witch doctor chasing me. Eventually, the flashier Xbox entered the scene, and Umberto, now a middle school kid who had long conquered the witch doctor, was over Nintendo 64. He decided to sell everything, figured he'd maybe get $100, which for a 13-year-old kid is a fortune. So he walks into a local video game store with his console and a couple dozen games in hand. You know, I'm pretty pumped, and I remember, like, turning the games over the counter, thinking, okay, that's got to be like at least five, at least eight. <laughs> he watches as the guy behind the counter sifts through the games. And another one, and another one, and another one, and then he just kind of turns to me. He's like, all right, that's going to be less than $10. What? No. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I, I do remember being kind of like, did I, did, I, <laughs> I, did I hear that right? And I somehow said, Sure. So he walks out with about $10 in his pocket, trading in years of his childhood for money he later spent at his school cafeteria on some fries and chips. Thinking back on it, he wishes he'd just held on to them for nostalgia or just to sell later. Today, they'd be worth at least a couple hundred. $10 is just an insult at this point. (laughs) My parents, they to this day, they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, you were an idiot. So... (laughs) (laughs) I'm Rima Khres, and welcome to This is Uncomfortable, a podcast from Marketplace about life and how money messes with it. It is Halloween, and so we asked y'all to tell us your money horror stories, the financial mistakes, like, you know, selling your Nintendo for next to nothing, that are still haunting you. The spending secrets you wish you could take to the grave. First, a story about a woman who falls under a spell for the RV life. Since she was a kid, Kitty Strykars always loved the idea of traveling around America in an RV. But it wasn't until she was 29 that she decided to make it happen. She and her boyfriend started planning out a year-long trip. And Kitty, who's already pretty meticulous, had figured out every detail. Down to the music. I definitely envisioned uh, rolling out of our house, all packed up, ready to go, to David Bowie's golden years. They'd see the Sequoias, the Red Rocks in Colorado, the Albuquerque Balloon Festival. Katie spent hours researching. She color-coded travel books and even plotted the trip on this huge continental map that became a fixture on her dining room table. Yeah, so I mean, I was watching YouTube videos on how to even pack an RV, Mm. how like the best way to travel with a fish at the time we had a fish. They even practiced taking camp showers and conserving water. But what I find most impressive and, frankly, wild is that they intentionally moved into a 400-square-foot studio just to practice sharing a cramped space. So it was a a good thing Marie Kondo had just come out because we just cleaned (laughs) house. I got rid of three-quarters of my wardrobe. You know, we had both sets of furniture, and we just got rid of everything over the last year and a half. Yeah. They were ready. 
The only thing missing was an actual RV. They really wanted an Airstream. You know, the sleek, rounded aluminum trailers you see on Instagram? But they are expensive. The kind Katie wanted would cost about 70000 So they decided to get a used one and set a goal to save $20,000. To make it happen, they spent a year and a half cutting back, not going out to eat as much, skipping out on concerts. Every bonus check, grandma's birthday check. We rolled our coins even. We had a, we have like a blue piggy bank that we wrote our venture on the side of it and every, you know, spare change, spare dollar. Um, For for real, we we scrimped and saved. And then one day while at work scrolling through Craigslist, Katie found it. A beautiful Safari Edition Airstream for $19,400. A steal. She quickly sent it to her boyfriend. We were just so excited in that moment. Yeah. Like our emails back and forth. And it's like, oh, my God, are we doing this? Mm-mm. Yeah, we have to do this. We have to do this. So that night, they got on their computer and sent a message to the seller. Natalie Caldwell. I remember very specifically. You know how people have their little profile picture in yeah. their signatures? She looked like such a sweet old lady with, like, graying hair. And I was like, oh, honey. She told Katie she was selling it so she could buy a bigger RV and was so excited a young couple wanted to buy it. Katie and her boyfriend weren't able to check it out in person. It was a couple states over, and they couldn't take the time off work. But the sale would be handled through this third-party seller called Total Auto Depot. After Katie confirmed it was legit, she made the purchase. It felt like this entire year and a half of saving came down to this one moment. It's just all of that dreaming, all that anticipation. Yeah. And then you, you just click send and it's all gone. The company then sent over a bill of sale and the shipping details. Her plan was falling into place. She told her friends, her family, her boss. That felt amazing. You know, just everyone sharing in that with me that my dream was coming true. On delivery day, she and her boyfriend anxiously awaited the 23-foot tin can that would be their new home. And then around 2 p.m. that day, she got an email from the company. Just a straight-up email, just saying... Unfortunately, there's been an accident. Oh, no. The, yeah, the truck that your Airstream was on uh, got hit on transit. Huh. Your Airstream is not damaged. It's just delayed. So we'll deliver it by 5 p.m. on Tuesday. So just okay. a day delay. Okay. And so, how are you feeling? Whew, I mean, once again, we just spent $20,000 of hopes and dreams yeah. on something we've never seen, and it's being shipped, and it just got hit. Yeah, so at that point, she's a little on edge. She tries to stay calm, though, and the next day, she takes off work, and she waits. Then, 15 minutes before it's supposed to arrive... We get a second email. Uh, It states that, indeed, the Airstream was damaged in transit, and the insurance company voided the sale and will no longer be receiving it. So at that point, we massively freak out. We have no idea what's going on at this point. So she calls them, emails them, even gets back in touch with Natalie, the original seller. She wants to know when the refund is coming. So then what happens? Well, well, unfortunately, literally nothing happens. The company never got back to her. By Wednesday, um, their phone lines were disconnected. There's been no response from Natalie. Their website is gone. Their Better Business Bureau 
rating is gone. What? Google ads are gone. They've disappeared. They don't exist. Wait, what? They just like completely vanished? Completely vanished. Not a trace. Not another email. Not another phone call. Not a thing. And she says Total Auto Depot's website, it did not seem sketch. It was well-designed, a pristine layout with dozens of customer reviews. Do you remember the moment where you were on your computer and you, like, type in the website or, you know, <laughs> try to find some trace of this company oh and you God. can't find anything? I literally, I lost my breath. I, I think I blacked out a little bit because it all sunk in so quickly. That's when she realized how many red flags she'd missed. You know, just maybe like a spelling error in an email or an odd phrase that was used. Or, you know, I even picked up in the layout of the Airstream that, you know, something, a cabinet was in a weird place. So it was 100% a scam. 100% a scam. We, we lost our $20,000 and a $20 wire free. It's been three months, and they still haven't gotten any response, despite all their complaints. Police report, FBI report, Better Business Bureau report, FDIC Mm. report, you know, claims to our bank. We have their bank information, so claims to the receiving bank. So, like, have there been any leads? Not one. Nothing? Not one. And the irony in all of this, the thing that really frustrates Katie... I work in revenue for my job like I tout credit card security and really you know yeah I've, I've been in commercial finance even I've wired money I've wired millions of dollars before in my job like oh my God. I never thought I would be this person Katie says she just lost sight of things she was too focused on the end goal for now she's packed up her color-coded travel books and that big U.S. map and they moved out of the tiny apartment and into her boyfriend's parents house to help save money When we talked, Katie says they would have been in Albuquerque at the Hot Air Balloon Festival. Instead, she's at work, daydreaming about what could have been. It's still haunting us. And it just breaks our heart every little time we see an airstream or anytime somebody talks about camping. Even just this past weekend, we're driving around foliage season here in, in Upper Maine and a beautiful airstream, 30 foot, gorgeous, almost brand new. You can tell they're just so shiny and he just had this shared look and I was driving and I just reached down and I grabbed his hand and we just sigh together. Coming up after the break, the spooky, horrifying, truly terrible experience of debt. So a lot of you all wrote in sharing how your debts are haunting you, specifically when it comes to spending money on the things you love or the people you love. I love Bruce Springsteen. Claire McInerney discovered Bruce in college and she fell hard. She even named her dog Rosalita after one of his songs. Back in 2016, Springsteen announced his River Tour. So I had to travel for all these shows and that's when I got in trouble. She ended up spending a total of $1,500. Then Springsteen performed on Broadway. So, of course, Claire flew to New York City for the weekend, and she put it on her credit card. 
And I was walking around Central Park trying to figure out what to do. And I was looking up some restaurants to go to. And I checked my credit card balance. And I was like, oh, my God, you still have two days left. Did you go into debt for Bruce? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. About $1,000 in debt. It was like the highlight of my year that year. But yeah, I was in debt to do it. I just like really reframed how I looked at my money and how I managed it. Another listener, Ali Senturk, had a similar wake-up call after she spent hundreds and hundreds of dollars on bras. She used to work at Victoria's Secret and had this really great employee discount. For every paycheck that I received, at least like half of it went back into the store. She'd buy nice pajama sets and underwear, perfumes and lotions. Allie thinks her spending habits were partly a reflection of her upbringing. She says her parents, who immigrated from the Philippines, never wanted to give up a good bargain. I learned as a young child from my mother that scarcity mindset. Just like basically keep everything that we own and try not to throw anything away. And as a young college student, that mentality of trying to be resourceful, it got out of hand. This is a really good deal. Um, I don't know if it's going to be here forever. I don't want to say YOLO, but it's like YOLO. Like, <laughs> Yeah, so by the time she left her job a couple years later, she had $8,000 in credit card debt, just from Victoria's Secret. It horrifies her every time she thinks about it. All that money she lost on push-up bras. They're too overpriced and they're not well made. Yeah, she doesn't even wear them anymore. And then, of course, there's the thing that spooks more than 44 million people in this country. Student debt. Like, I talked with this one guy, Tochi Onyabuchi, and he's a young adult author with not one, not two, not three, but four degrees. A BA in poli-sci from Yale, uh, an MFA from NYU's Tisch School of the Arts in dramatic writing, a JD from Columbia Law, and a master's in global economic law from L'Institut d'études politiques. He took out a lot of loans. As of recording, I think I owe the Department of Education upwards of $360,000 U.S. dollars in loan repayment. (laughs) That's a house. That's a house. Yeah. It could be multiple houses in some places. Exactly. (laughs) There was a period of time where I was like, wow, that was... Not smart. But he says those degrees led him down a really interesting professional path. It's just that now he's on a financial path where it's going to take him about 25 years to pay off those loans. And then there's a listener who reached out with a pretty heavy story about an unexpected debt still following him. Stephen's story starts back in 2013. He had just finished grad school and went out one night to celebrate. All of my friends were here for my graduation, and I wanted to dance with someone. Stephen spotted this guy just kind of standing off to the side. I ran up to him, asked him to dance, and he said yes. They wound up talking all night and eventually started dating. The guy was this super cute firefighter. Like, did you love the fact that he was a firefighter? Yes. (laughs) I mean, it was like, ooh, I get to date the firefighter. I just fell head over heels. Within a year, Stephen moved in with him. And the honeymoon phase, it wore off. Even though they were living together, he started to feel lonely. It was so hard to get things that were us things 
in his life. There was so much that was his life that was separate from me. So that's when he got the idea to get a credit card. Well, let me open it with my partner um, and make him like a co-signer. And then this will be stuff that we'll use for us. Wait, so you thought a credit card would bring you all closer? Like, I thought this is what couples, when they're Mm -hmm. in a committed relationship, Mm -hmm. heading towards adulthood and adulting, you know, don't they open a credit card together and kind of share some expenses? At first, they put some small stuff on the card, things they could pay off right away. Dinners out, new work clothes, a couple romantic trips. But it didn't work. There was still this distance, and he wondered if his boyfriend was cheating. At one point, Stephen came up with the idea of remodeling the bathroom. He wasn't too comfortable living at his boyfriend's place and thought they could spruce it up together. And he was like, okay, fine, let's go fix it up. We'll make you happy kind of thing. Okay. Um, And it became like a project with us. And as usual, they'd put it on the credit card. And things added up fast. It was at least $5,000 altogether. But were you still in the back of your mind like, okay, but like if we have a really nice bathroom, it'll fix the relationship. It was going to get better. (laughs) Yeah, this will fix it. It's going to get better. Like this is, we're investing, we're building. Did you almost feel like if you all put in, yeah, if you all put in this much effort into something in the house, that means like you all are locked in in a way? Absolutely. And that relationships are supposed to be effort. It's supposed to be hard. But it just kept being hard. Stephen knew he wasn't happy, but it just felt so overwhelming, emotionally and logistically, to untangle his life from his boyfriend's. They kind of split up, but kept trying to work on it. Until one day... I went for my physical, and for the first time, I came back HIV positive. Early in the relationship, he lied and said he was not positive, and... Which, I mean, I would have been fine with if you were positive. I'm like, there's just things I can do that I need to do, so we're okay. But if you don't tell me those things, I can't do those things. Like, I still get chills when I think about it. Like, it's not okay. For Stephen, this news meant it was finally, officially over. I think I was already knowing I needed to get out before then, even if I can't prove that he's cheating. I can prove this, and this is enough. So he left. And at that point, their joint credit card had about $8,000 on it. His ex paid off a little, but it's mainly fallen on Stephen to pay. I didn't even see the bathroom finished. And since they broke up, Stevens used the card as his personal one, and he still got debt, which he never had before their relationship. I don't think about him anymore, but I think about that credit card all the time. It's a ghost that I really don't want to ever see again. I think about when will I ever be free of that, and I've I've moved on from him, but I haven't moved on from his debt or the debt that he left in me, and I hate that. Yeah, and so when you do pay it off, do you feel like you'll finally be able to mentally close the door on the relationship? Yeah, and should probably close out the credit card.
So Halloween is not the only time of the year that money issues haunt us. So if you want to keep sharing your stories with us, you can shoot us a note, as always, at uncomfortable at marketplace.org. And if you want to hear more listener horror stories, we've got them on our website. Check them out at marketplace.org. This is Uncomfortable is produced by me, Rima Khreis, Haley Hirschman, Peter Balanon-Rosen, and Muna Danish. Megan Dietrich is our senior producer. Drew Jostad is our engineer. This episode was edited by Caitlin Esch and Eliza Mills. Tony Wagner is our digital producer. Satara Nieves is the executive director of On Demand. And Deborah Clark is the senior vice president and general manager of Marketplace. And our theme music is by Wonderly. All right. Catch y'all next week. Thank you.